dialysis is about coming in to replace the kidneys functions when our kidneys are, 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 are ill what comes in to help the body to do all the work the kidneys the kidneys were doing before it got ill it is the dialysis we have the hemodialysis which we talked about yesterday and we have the peritoneal dialysis we said for the hemodialysis we said it has a shunt or meaning it shunts blood from the body to a dialyzer back to the body systemic circulation meaning it, it takes out the body fluid or the blood or body fluid from the body it cleanses the body fluid into a dialyzer into a vacuum into a container and return the cleansed fluid or body uh, or fluid back into the body for systemic use that's how we do this hemodialysis now um <clears throat> in the peritoneal dialysis like the name depicts peritoneum the peritoneum it is the cavity that uh, we have all of our abdominal organs resting in that cavity in that vacuum so where we from our uh, from our diaphragm coming down towards our our below our umbilicus that is the peritoneum so in the peritoneum you have all those organs you have the stomach you have the 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 large in the small intestine, the large intestine the largest thing got very part the cecum the ileum the ascending descending transverse column so you have everything within the peritoneum so in the peritoneum you have that now when we're talking about peritoneal dialysis it is a form of dialysis that takes place within the peritoneum cavity of the human body that's about the peritoneal dialysis now over here this dialysis involves uh installations of hypertonic dialysis solution into the peritoneal cavity and subsequent dwell time now <clears throat> So in this dialysis, in this dialysis, now in this dialysis, um, like I said, the body will drain the uh, drain the dialysis solution that include the waste product. Now the peritoneum serves as the filtration membrane. Now the clay should have an intact peritoneum membrane without adhesion or infection from other multiple surgery. Now this is what occurs in peritoneal dialysis. Um, in this form of dialysis, we use the clay peritoneum. So this is a this is someone here. Um, this person has a belly, belly like this. So in this case, we use this particular area. This is the peritoneum. So in this case, this is where we, so from here coming here, it is the peritoneum. Here we'll have the stomach coming here. Um, it comes like this in a J shape. Down here we have the small intestines coming here. Um, then you have the large intestines coming like this, uh, ascending, transverse, descending, and other things in here now in here is the peritoneum where you have the liver you have the kidneys at the back you have uh the the, the, the spleen up here you have the abdomen you have the large intestine the small intestine you have the rectum you have the everything in here rest in the peritoneum of the human body now in this dialysis this does not this does not have a it, it does not have a vacuum now in a hd in a hemodialysis there's a vacuum which you call the dialyzer now in here is where we cleanse the blood in that vacuum but in this case we have an opening here we instill the fluid into this particular cavity and the fluid stays here the body will drain other body fluid put them in this particular peritoneal cavity Cleanse the fluid and put it back into the systemic circulation. That's what happened in, in peritoneal dialysis. Now, in here, when that is done in here, um, there are things that will contraindicate peritoneal dialysis that which we have to be very cognizant of to know for the end class. The client cannot have multiple surgeries 
Because if we have multiple soldiers in here, what's going to happen? There will be adhesion. So you will see adhesion around here. And when there's an adhesion, or there are adhesions here, this adhesion will impair the dialysis. So in this case, peritoneal dialysis will be contraindicated in this client. So the client should not have any adhesion. The client should not have multiple surgery. So the client should not have multiple surgery. The client should not have adhesion in the peritoneum. Now, in that case, we have the indication for peritoneal dialysis. Now, in peritoneal dialysis, um, it is used as the treatment of choice for older adults who require dialysis. So in older adults that who require dialysis, peritoneal dialysis is the treatment of choice for those individuals. Now, in this PD, it treats clients requiring uh, dialysis who, one, are unable to tolerate anticoagulants. So when client cannot tolerate anticoagulant, they go for what? Peritoneal dialysis. That's one. That's the number one indication. If the client cannot tolerate anticoagulant, in that case, they will do peritoneal dialysis. That's one. Two, if the clients have difficulty to access their vascular device or their vascular point, if we cannot access the vascular point, meaning the client veins, in that case, because remember we said in hemodialysis, we do the AV graft or the AV fistula. So the AV graft or AV fistula are used to access the client's circulatory system, which is used to create the exchange or the cleansing process of the client's entire body. So when the client vascular access cannot be obtained, then we do for the client peritoneal dialysis. The third one is, if the client have chronic infection, chronic infection, like I said, in the system, that doing this dialysis will create other system in the body to, to contract the infection the client having, in that case, we cannot do peritoneal dialysis. Uh, in that case, they will do for them peritoneal dialysis. Um, also, when the client is not stable, also, when the client have chronic disease, such as diabetes mellitus, in that case, we can do for them peritoneal dialysis. When the client has heart failure, when the client has severe hypertension, in these conditions, the client would do peritoneal dialysis instead of doing what? The hemodialysis. Now, in peritoneal dialysis, there are nursing considerations that we must consider why helping the client to do the peritoneal dialysis. One, um, we want to try to access, to assess dry weight without dialysis insulation. That is, when a client comes in, we must assess the client's weight. What's the client weight before dialysis? Because in this dialysis, we instill, we instill fluid. That is a hypertonic solution into the client body to do the peritoneal dialysis. So when the client comes in that case, the client must do their pre-dialysis weight to know when the fluid is added to the client body, what will be the client weight plus the dialysis hypertonic solution that will be used. We do the client vital signs, the client serum electrolytes, the client creatinines, the client BUM, and the client blood glucose. These are things we do before the client can start the dialysis. Determine the client ability to self-perform peritoneal dialysis and follow steroid techniques. Now, in this in this dialysis, the client is the, the client can do the dialysis by himself or by, by herself. So we, we must we must assess their know-how in performing this by themselves. In this dialysis, also we look at the client level of alertness, the client past experience with dialysis, the client understanding about the procedure these are things we want to access to know how the client have idea on these things we also want to go ahead and make sure um we instruct the client about the procedure the client can feel fullness when the diet is in and there is a dwelling time meaning when we instill the diet fluid in, in the client peritoneum 
the client will feel that fullness though it, it they'll feel like they have eaten enough and their belly is full that's what's going to happen when we instill the fluid into the client peritoneum the client should be told that the client will say i feel fullness yes it's normal because when you put this fluid into the client abdomen when you instill it in the client abdomen the client will feel fullness the client should also be told there can be some discomfort at the beginning with the dialysis infusion the client should continue uh, ambulatory peritoneal dialysis which requires seven days a week for four to eight hours the client can continue normal activities during the cap now in the that's what i call the capd the cap that is the continual the continuous ambulatory the continuous ambulatory peritoneal dialysis p uh, capd now it's wearing the client is walking around doing the normal things but the client still undergoing the while the dialysis so we call the continuous ambulatory peritoneal dialysis so the client can do this seven days a week four hours to eight hours every day now in the hemodialysis we must now when we see this thing like this these are endless sata questions when you see two things looking alike now in the hemodialysis we do it at least three times a week at least three to four hours at uh, three to four hours yeah three to four hours a day for the hemodialysis for this person dialysis is done every day at least between four to eight hours a day for this person dialysis and the client can uh, when the client is doing the cap that is the continuous dialysis the client can do this as the client move around and do that normal activities the continuous psychopathic dialysis, the CCPD, CCPD is the continuous psychopathic dialysis, another type of this. So we have the, the, the continuous, the continuous ambulatory peritoneal dialysis. Then we have the continuous psychopathic dialysis, CCPD. Now, for the CCPD, is a 24 hour dialysis we do it the entire day 24 hours a day we keep doing dialysis now the exchange occurs at night while the client is sleeping so you will have the dialysis going on throughout the day but the exchange will only occur at night when the client is in bed but it, it is ongoing the whole day at night the fluid between the clean fluid and the other fluid is exchanged at night when the client is at rest sleeping that's when their change takes place during this continuous psychopartner dialysis now also the final exchange is left in the dwell during the day so the final exchange will not be done during the night so it will do all of the dwelling and other, and other exchange will occur the last dwelling will be done during the day when the client is awake and the client is doing normal activity that's when the last dwelling uh, the, the, the last exchange will be done during the day now for the endless we have to remember these things and know the difference between the pertinent dialysis and that of the one the hemodialysis and compare and contrast them in a tabular form if we do that we'll understand these things like abc and would we'll get them in the endless if they ever come in the enter we'll know them very well then we have what we call the automated peritoneal dialysis the third one is the automated peritoneal dialysis now the automated peritoneal dialysis is the apd is a 10 minute exchange repeated over 8 to 10 hours while the client is sleeping so in this case it takes place for 30 minutes it stops 30 minutes it stops between eight to ten hours while the client is in bed sleeping for the automated peritoneal dialysis this is how it occurs now <clears throat> so we have the we have the continuous uh ambulatory dialysis the continuous cytodialysis the automated peritoneal dialysis so the, those are the two dialysis that fall on the pd now in the case of the pd or the <clears throat> or the peritoneal dialysis the nurse actually include one we have to monitor the client vital sign because when, when, when dialysis is going on 
the client can have this equilibrium, the client can have lightheadedness, the client can have hypotension, the client can have tachycardia. These are signs and symptoms of this equilibrium that we need to know about the condition. Now, in this case, um, the client will monitor the client valsan frequently, monitor the client serum blood glucose level. Dialysis contains glucose. That's the reason why the client must monitor the client glucose level because dialysis, the dialysis, the fluid used to do this is uh, to do the cleanse is called dialysis. This is a hypertonic solution. In, in general, it is a what? A sugar. So it contains sugar. So it is a glycemic content fluid. That's why it is it is a what? It is a, a hypertonic solution. Now, if you go back to your fluid, where we have hypo, aso, and hyper, those solutions you're gonna see a solution like a D50, D5, D10, dextrose, and other things. Those are solutions that fall on a hypertonic solutions. So you have to know these things and know which ones are hypertonic, which ones are hypo, and which ones are aso. Now, in this case, um, definitely. When we have uh, these things ongoing, we have to be on the proper side to manage these things the right way. Um, we want to recall the amount of inflow compared to outflow of the dialysis. Meaning, because the client is going to receive fluid instead into the body, we want to recall what goes in and what comes out to compare. Now, that's why we do the client weight before the procedure and the client weight is done after the procedure. We also go ahead and monitor, uh, we record the amount, we monitor the client, the client color, the color should be clear, that is the diocese color, it should be clear, it should be clear or light yellow, and the amount should be equal or exceed, should equal or exceed the amount of diocese inflow of the outflow, that is what we put in, in the pertinent dialysis, what we put in should be equal or more than what comes out. I repeat, in the pertinent dialysis, what we put in, our input should be equal to or higher than. I'm sorry, our, our output, meaning our output should be equal to or higher than our input. Because what we put in want to get it out so if it is higher that's fine because we'll get other waste product coming from the body that's fine but what we put in if it's lower than what we take out there is a problem meaning there is fluid remaining in the client's body which is not okay in that uh, in the case of dialysis <clears throat> now um in this case we'll, 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 we'll look at the fluid color like i said it should be clear it should be light yellow and the amount should be equal or exceed the amount of dialysis we, we put in. That is the outflow. We monitor the clients for signs of infection, which include fever, uh, blood, uh, we see fever, blood, cloud, or forte dialysis return. So if we see blood, if we see blood, we see cloudy, and we see frosty. Color of dialysis. Dialysis. In this case, the client has some infection because it should not be. It should be. It should be clear, or it should be what light yellow. That's the normal color of what a dialysis. It is the solution that we use to come out. And we use it's what we call a dialysis. So it should be clear. Or it should be light yellow. If it is blood, frosty, or it is um, cloudy, meaning the client has an infection. So in this case, it got to be reported to the HCP. We check the access site for dressing or wet for wetness, which could be a risk of dialysis leakage. The access point, if it is wet, if the access point is wet, this is a sign of what? A leakage. A sign of dialysis leakage. If it is wet, it's a sign of what? Dialysis leakage. We want to also um, look at the, look at the access site. For infection, want to warm the dialysis prior to installing it. Want to warm it. It cannot remain cold. If it remains cold, it will cause homeostatic problem. So it must be um, warm. 
I'm going to also go in and uh, we should avoid the use of microwave ovens, which can cause uneven heating. Adhere to the times for infusion, the dwelling time, and the outflow. What is prescribed as the time for infusion, meaning the time we instill this fluid into the client's body, should be the same time. What is prescribed as the dwelling time, meaning the time it takes to stay in the client's body, that is the dwelling time. And what is prescribed as the outflow time, the time it takes to come out, those times should not be manipulated. They should be like how they were prescribed and we should go by the instruction of the the, 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 the client or the doctor prescription. Also under here, we should always try to um, keep the outflow back lower than the client's abdomen because it drains by gravity and it will prevent reflux. So the bag for the dialysis is always at all point in time the bag is lower than the abdomen. These are anchor points, that's why I keep repeating them. Also, in this case, we want to maintain surgical asepsis of the catheter used at the insertion site, and we want to assess, we want to keep try to keep accessing the catheter to know the patency, to know whether everything is in place. We want to reposition the client if the inflow or the outflow is inadequate. That's the first thing you do. If the client inflow or outflow is not adequate and the tubings are not having problem, we to change the client position. Because last night we had a question last night like that last night. They said the nurse was serving the dialysis and the client did, and the nurse found that uh, the client did not receive the amount of fluid outflow. What's the nurse immediate action? So they have the answer the answer was um change the position. Know that and know this thing very well about these dialysis conditions or, or procedures. Also, you want to carefully milk the dialysis character if a fibrin or clot has been formed. Milking it will help it. Provide emotional support to the client and the family. Monitor the client with the client serum electrolytes, the client creatinine, the client BUN, and the client blood, uh, the, the client blood sugar because the dialysis itself is. A, it's a sugar, like I said, it's, it's, it's a dextrose. Want to go ahead and teach the client home care for accessing and caring for the access points. Want to go ahead and ensure the client and the family to perform peritoneal dialysis exchanges at home. Provide support for the home and other things. We seek additional information for the client, like the kidney foundation. The client is taught so many things that the client needs to know for this peritoneal dialysis. In this dialysis, we also have complication, like we had complication for the hemodialysis. So in here, there are few complications that the client might experience. One, the client might experience peritonitis. Peritonitis. Now, this is just the inflammation of the peritoneum cavity. So meaning the, the peritoneum cavity is inflamed of the peritoneum, the peritoneum cavity. Meaning, where those abdominal organs live, where they are resting, they are, it's called the peritoneal, that's why they call it kidneys. The kidneys are referred to as, they, they are called retroperitoneum organs. They are retroperitoneal organs because they are in the back. So they are retroperitoneal organs. The kidneys are called retroperitoneal organs. Now, also for this peritonitis um, when there's an infection due to bacteria or other microorganisms the client is going to have peritonitis in this case we want to maintain surgical asepsis during the procedure monitor for infections such as fever prurient drainage redness swelling these are all signs of infection when the client has infection we want to make sure um, look at the color of the dialysis if it is light if, if it is light yellow or clear the client is good. If it is cloudy, if it is frosty, if it is bloody, the client is experiencing infection systemically. Um, educate the client to use strict steroid procedure or techniques during the exchanges. Tell the client to notify the doctor or the HCP about any indication of infection. Because in that case, if we have infection, the client might have total systemic infection that might even affect the brain. The client might, it might cause the client to have encephalitis or other, or other 
or cardiac infection. The client can have infection at the, at the access site. The client can have protein loss. The client can have hyperglycemia and hyperlipidemia when the client is on dialysis. For the hyperlipidemia and the hyperglycemia, uh, it can result from the hyperosmolarity of the dialysis. The dialysis, the dialysis we are using, it is hyperosmolar fluid. It, it has hyperosmolarity. So the client must, re, re, the, the nurse must watch out for hyperglycemia and hyperlipidemia in this case because the fluid we're using in there, that fluid contains what high level of osmolar constituents in it. Um, the blood can absorb glucose from the dialysis. Um, hyperlipidemia can also occur from the long-term therapy and lead to hypertension. So we should watch out for these things. Monitor the client's serum glucose level. Administer insulin for clients who are glycemic or hyperglycemic. We want to like, uh, try to ensure the client to follow dietary recommendations to make sure the client is not uh, stimulating sugar problem or diabetic problem or diabetic problem. Want to administer anti-lipidemic anti, anti medication for the triglyceride control in the client's body. Want to the client uh, diet, provide the client with other recommendations when the client is on this particular pertinent diet and the client has a complication. For the poor dialysis and inflow and outflow, meaning if the client is having poor dialysis inflow or outflow, in this case, this can be due to obstruction or twisting of the tubing. This can decrease the flow. If the, if the tubing is twisted or the tubing is obstructed, the client will have poor inflow or poor outflow. Um, the client Also, when the client has constipation, it can cause inflow or outflow being lower than the normal amount. In this case, the first thing you want to do is try to reposition the client if the inflow or outflow is inadequate. That's the first thing you do. Second thing is you milk the tubing to make sure that they are the fibrins are not creating blockade or they are not creating obstruction along the pathway. The third thing you want to do is you want to change the tubing, check the tubing for kinks. Check it out they have kinks in there. If they have it, you manage it. Then the next thing is tell the client to avoid constipation by using stool softener and consuming diet that are high in fiber. High fiber diet will prevent the client from having constipation when the client is on dialysis. Advise the client to check the tubing for kinks and teach the client how to remove the fibrin clots. Remind the client to monitor the inflow and outflow and also change the client position or lower the um, lower or raise the dialysis bed to improve the flow. Lastly, you want to encourage the client to ladder in a supine position of the bare head slightly elevated during the CCPD, that is the continuous cycle peritoneal dialysis, or during the APD, the automated peritoneal dialysis. So in those two dialysis, the client bare head can be elevated when the client has poor dialysis inflow or outflow as a complication. Any question on pertinent dialysis? Any question? Now, the renal system includes the, the kidneys and uh, the urinary system. And the function of this system, system includes fluid uh, regulation, waste removal, BP regulation, methylene acid-based balance, production of rare blood cells through protein production and also vitamin D um, activation. These are just some of the functions of the kidneys. Now, there are three components to the urinary system. We have the ureters, we have the bladder, and we have the urethra. The ureters are those two tubes that extend from the two kidneys to the bladder. And the bladder is what that houses the bile waste that comes out as urine before, before we can have the urge to release them. Then the urethra is the pathway that it is internal is used to extend the urine outside to the atmosphere. So those are the three parts of, um, of this particular urinary system. Now the urinary tract infection, UTI, 
these are infections that uh, we encounter from the urinary system, from the from the kidney system, and other part of the body. Now, then we have pilot nephritis. It is infection of the kidneys that derive from the pelvic area. Then we have acute and chronic glomerular nephritis. I, 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 I want to make a correction. A correction. Yesterday I said the GFR was 125 ml per hour, but no, it's per mini. So it's per mini, not per hour, I'm sorry. So GFR is 125 ml per, per mini, not per hour, just so you know. Now, so um, when this is occur, there are so many things we need to know about this infection. They help us to improve our, our idea when it comes to the ankles. Under here, um, in the portion of the lower urinary tract that is infected is referred to as urinary tract infection. Those areas include one, um, we have one, we have the ureters, two, we have the urethra, three, we have the bladder, and four, we have the prostate. So these are lowered or uh, urinary system organs, and anything that happens in there is referred to as urinary tract infection. Um, UTI we can have cystitis when the bladder become infected for the bladder infection it is called cystitis if it is the urethra is infected it is called urethritis um if it is the prostate that is infected it is called prost uh, prost uh it is called um prost prostitis it is called like a prost prostatitis i mean that's that's a real word for a prostate uh, prostatitis if it's the prostate getting further it's called prostate uh, prostatitis now in the upper urinary tract infection this will refer to conditions like the pyelonephritis for the upper side so these are lower tract infection Urethritis, cystitis, prostatitis, those are all lower portion. Um, then the upper portion, you're going to have pyelonephritis, um, which is the bladder, the renal pelvis, where it gets infected and inflamed, it becomes pyelonephritis. Then we have, uh, this can be caused by E. coli bacteria, um, or different bacteria, pseudomonas, staph, saprophyticals and other types um then if it is untreated if this condition is untreated it leads to what we call that is if we have this organic infection like uh, we have the pseudomonas if they are infected if they infect if we don't treat them they lead to pyelonephritis and also lead to urosepsis which can cause septic shock and the client can die if the client has pyelonephritis or urinary sepsis if it is not treated, the client can have this infection, it can increase, it can progress, it can become complicated, and the client can have shock, and the client can die just from these infections. Um, in here, we will take a look at some of the factors that can lead to it. For females, female has shorter urethra compared to male, because male has a penis that has a long shaft, and the shaft, in that penis shaft, there live the urethra. For the male, male has longer uh, urethra, so male has lesser ability to contract infection as compared to females. Um, there is decreased hormonal occurring in the client body, like for estrogen, in the female as they get older, this, this will decrease in the body, and that can expose them to having infection. They have frequent use of feminine hygiene spray tampons, sanitary napkins, and other things they use uh, vaginally, these things can expose them to why infection. So females are more at risk for infection compared to males. For the male adder, male could have increased bacterial urine, which is bacteri uh, bacteremia, uh, 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 um, 
uh, um, it is yeah, they have increased risk of bacteremia, sepsis, shock, and other things. They can have prostatitis in male a lot. They're gonna have better prolapse in females. They're gonna also have other conditions that might increase the client risk of contracting this urinary tract infection. My concern for this UTR, I have few concerns for the ankles. My first concern is the findings. What are the signs for urinary infection? It is what the nurse should be able to know and know how to manage these signs or how to pick these signs up and put in a, requ a, a, a required management techniques to prevent it from going to complication. The client is going to have low back pain or low abdominal discomfort. The client is going to have uh, bladder pain. The client will have urinary frequency and urinary urges those are two cardinal symptoms when the client has urinary frequency or urinary urgency we look out for the client having urinary tract infection the client going to have this urea or dash urea they're going to have that they will have bladder cramping bladder spasm. um they're going to have peritoneal itching they will have hematuria they can have pile urea which is there will be wet blood cells in the urine is called pyluria. They're going to exhibit uh, like hematuria blood in the urine, or the urine becomes smoky, or the you have a coffee brown urine color. Those are all symptoms for urinary infection. Someone they're going to have fever. Um, they're going to they're going to void in small amount. They will have oligouria. Someone they're going to have urethral discharge, like the penis. You see when you make the penis, you see white thing coming like a discharge, or even in the vagina, you're going to see that in the vaginal area also. Um, they're going to have um, cloudy or foul-smelling urine. Those are all signs of urinary infection. For older adults, there's going to be a concern area. For older adults, they might not show these symptoms. They might not get confused. So confusion in older adults is the number one signs of urinary infection when they have confusion. When they have um, a lot of appetite, they have nocturia. And they have dysuria, they have hypertension, they have tachycardia, they have tachypnea, they have fever. These are all indicators of why urosepsis when they have these symptoms. When the client exhibits all these symptoms, we do laboratory tests for them. We do the entire urinalysis. We analyze the client urine and know what this client is going through. In this urinalysis, we go in for the client and do the client uh, urine specimen. We do clean catch urine. Now, I want you to look at these real tests as an assignment. Um, look for them. You'll find them in a book. Um, one, look for clean, clean catch urine. So you look for clean catch urine specimen collection. 24 hours urine specimen collection. You look for a uh, mainstream urine specimen collection. Mainstream urine specimen collection and you look for um urine specimen collection with uh with character with uh character now i want you to look at these things now you look at okay you look at urine culture look for urine culture also urine culture now what you all know in this particular urinary test for clear, a clean cash urine or clean fresh urine, why are we doing clean fresh urine for a patient, not 24 hour urine specimen? How are we doing it? What are the nursing responsibility for these procedures? 24 hour urine collection, why are we doing it? That is the indication for this particular test. When can it be done? What are the nursing role in doing 24 hour urine collection? The mainstream urine collection, how it is done? urine collection are using a catheter how it is done and how do we do the urine culture now this thing, if you read about them one by one they have some similarity and have differences that make them to be different from the other ones so you're going to look at it open your clinical eyes and do it the best way possible then we look at um in the after the urinalysis we do urine culture and urine sensitivity we do for the client uh where blood cells count and differential count. Take for example, don't look at the urines, the urinalysis and the urine culture test. Let me tell you how, how you do these assignments. One, look at look at the, the nursing action. For the urines, 
or cultural acceptability and the urinalysis to the plan regarding proper techniques in doing this clean cash urine collection. You collect the characterized urine specimen using the sterile technique. Um, you look at there will be positive um, bacteria, some sorry, there will be bacteria in there, there will be sediment in the urine, there will be red blood cells, and there will be red blood in the urine. There will be leukocytes, esterase, and nitrates in there, up to 88% of this will be available in, in, in the urine. You also want to go in if the client has urosepsis, is suspected, um, then we do differential diagnosis for urine, uh, uh, urine organizing that for from within the urine. Um, the client will do, will do the red blood cells in there and know what are the client, the amount of blood cells they have in there. It should be equal or more than 10,000. They should, we should have more than or equal to 10,000 UL. 10,000, um, we should have up to at least like a, for the for this, we should have at least up to 10,000, um, 10,000 UL. We should have it in there. We also want to go ahead for this particular, uh, you, uh, uh, this particular WBC count and differential, Want to make sure um, the web blood cells count are equal to, like I said, to ten, equal to or higher than ten thousand uh, UL, with a shift to the left, indicating an increased number of immature cells, which is called neutrophil, in response to infection. So when there is infection, you will see high neutrophil in response to the infection. The last time I said we have five kinds of WBC. And I want you to have look at these five kinds and tell me exactly what are the indications for this WBC and how do we look for them so that we can be on the safe side for the ankles. There are five kinds. We have the, the, the lymphocyte, we have the monocyte, we have the eosinophil, we have um, the basophil, and we have different... Uh, and we have and we have the monocyte so so there are five now this five type of uh this five type of 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 of, of granulocyte you have some you have the lymphocyte and you have the monocyte these ones are granules they have granules you have the basophil you have the eosinophil you have the um the neutrophil. Now under here, you all know them, their function. So when there is infection, the first one that appear is the neutrophil. That's what we just learned about. So the lymphocyte, the monocyte, the basophil, the eosinophil, and the neutrophil, when do they appear? You want to go ahead and look at them one at a time and know when they can appear in the body or when which problem can they appear in. So uh, the client will do some lab procedure for this case, for this unit infection, they will do cystoscopy, they will view the, the bladder, they will do cystourethroscopy, they will view, that is, they will view both the bladder and the urethra, and they can do compound, or they, they can do comp computer topography with a CT scan to detect a pyelonephritis in this case. Um, we can do transrectal ultrasonography to deter the client having a prostate. Now, um, another thing I'm about to talk about is prostate and top. When the client has prostate, we we'll do the transurethral reception surgery or, 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 or test, the top test. These are things you all know for the anklets. So, so we we'll do for the client. The uh, the client will do the um uh uh uh. uh the transrectal trans ultrasound to detect why the client has prostate. So in this case, the client will take enough fluid up to three liters a day. Um, the client will avoid the use of catheters if possible. Uh, women who are pregnant they require immediate um, other immediate. They require immediate. Uh, for women who are pregnant, they require immediate and effective treatment to prevent 
pilot the furthest because if they have it, we cannot treat it because they might take some antibiotic that will be teratogenic for the fetus. Now, we go ahead for them also. Um, we carry on health education. We give them education like uh, we give them like the natural furantone. These are drugs we use for UTI. It is one one drug of choice for UTI. They call it natural furantone. It's for UTI. The client can take um, fluoroquinolone, fluoroquinolones. The client can also take um, trametoprim. The trametoprim. The client can also take the sulfonamide. Sulfonamides, like the septrins, are all for on a septrin Now, these drugs, I want to read about them one by one. Then, for these drugs here, it has contraindication, it has its hypersensitivity. When a client is sulfur, uh, is 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 allergic to sulfur medication. If you serve them, they're going to have what's called Steven Johnson syndrome. It's a bad drugs reaction from sulfonamides. So look out for natural furantone. It's a UTI medication. It's very good. It's treated UTI very well. We have our uh, fluoroquinolones, trametoprims, or the sulfonamides. Look at these drugs one by one and note the peculiarity about them for the ankles. These are common drugs we use in this section. Any question over here? Any question over here? Now, in, in pyelonephritis, it is an inflammation of the kidney pelvis. We call it pyelonephritis. It's inflammation or infection of the kidneys pelvis what we call the pyelonephritis um it has three portions of the effect it affects the kidney pelvis the kidney calluses and it also affects the kidneys um medulla so the so they affect the pelvis the calluses and the medulla of the kidneys. These are the areas they affect when it comes to pilot nephritis. We're going to affect in this case. Um, what is important here? Um, we have two distinct kinds of this condition. We have the acute pilot and we have the chronic pilot. In the acute pilot, there is an active bacterial infection that can cause intestinal inflammation. It can also cause tubular cell necrosis. It causes abscess formation in the capsule, in the cortex, and in the medulla that, that will progress. If they are not treated, they will progress and uh, they will progress and they will lead to chronic CKD, chronic kidney condition. So, under here, we have the acute condition. We have the acute pyelonephritis and we have the chronic pyelonephritis for the acute um this is this is called by active bacteria that will cause the infection when this occur it will cause intestinal it, it, it causes one interstitial interstitial um inflammation that's one. Two, this particular infection uh, for the acute, it can also cause tubular necrosis. It causes tubular necrosis, meaning the tubes cells will sort of decay or will sort of die. In that case, they're going to get decay. When the decay occur, there will be necrosis occurring. It also forms access. It creates abscess formation. There is an abscess. There is an abscess formation in the calluses. 
in the medulla and also it occurs in the cortex of the kidneys then if it is not treated it leads to chronic kidney disorder CKD for the acute type then we have the chronic one so the chronic infection here it occurs when there are repeated acute ones so when we have repeated acute kidney problem it leads to chronic or chronic or chronic nephritis so then you had the first one it was treated you went back you had another one it was treated over or it started to grow and they become complete chronic disorder um under here this can cause progressive scarring due to inflammation this will cause progressive progressive inflammation which will lead to scarring the kid will become scarred there will be scar form like like the key laws so the chronic one when there are repeated akd it leads to progressive inflammation and then the scar will come because everywhere there's a sore in the kidney when the sore heals what comes after the sore is is, is the sore mark or the scar scar formation so that continuous scar formation will cause what we call chronic kidney problem um in this case it is more common with obstruction urinary abnormally and vessel vesicle uh, ureteral urine reflux the reflux of the urine occurs in junction in the junk at the junction where the ureters connect to the bladder so it occurs here this is the bladder right here um here and here here is the ureters between here so it's going to occur in here it will occur somewhere in here at the junction of the ureters this this is the ureters this is the bladder right here so this infection will occur between the ureters and the bladder junction that's what happened in that case um then uh there are so many risk factor uh men over 65 years of age they are ready for these conditions someone who has uh prostatitis someone who has hypertrophy of the prostate someone who has chronic urinary stones like in the case of harbored bacteria spinal cord injuries pregnancy continental abnormality of malformation bladder tremors and other conditions that we uh expose the body to so much infection that's what happened in that case when this occur the client will have chill they will have colicate type abdominal pain they will have that colic pain colic colicate they call it colicate colic c-o-l-r-c-k-y colicate the colic or the colon so they'll have colon pain they call it the colicate pains that will occur in there they're going to have burning they will have malaise they will have costal vertebral tenderness they will have flank pains flank pains are cardinal sound for kidney disease flank pains like i we call it um i've forgotten the name it's called a uh, wearing you ask the client to say 99 and you put your hand on the client back and you feed the vibration in the client but they call it um i forgot the name but when i get when i remember the name i'll i'll talk about it um it's a test that always tested positive when a client has kidney problem um the client should increase their fluid intake and other things the client should look at so many things to help the client now um if all these method fails then we look at surgical method which include um we remove uh we go in and do kidney transplantation in that case that's become the last thing that we can do after the client has been on diet for a long time and then we're going to go in and do kidney transplantation um the client can take other drugs at the beginning at the beginning like an antibiotic to treat the infection 
If it is not treated, then we go into another mode of treatment. Any question so far? Client of kidney problem, they can have septic shock as complication. And under septic shock, we have symptoms such as hypertension, tachycardia, and fever are the three distinct or cardinal signs of symptoms for shock for 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 for, for septic shock. Hypertension, tachycardia, and fever. When the client has chronic kidney disease, the client will have elevated BUN, the client will have elevated creatinine, and the client will have high electrolytes that will derive from inflammation and infection that will cause fibrosis of the kidneys and will cause pelvis and calyx scarring. Um, the client will have hypertension due to increased sodium increased fluid in the body they will have hypo, uh, hypertension occurring in here those are things the client will experience when the client have pyelonephritis any question on pyelonephritis then we've got the last one which is glomerulonephritis now under this glomerulonephritis um it is just a disorder start of the kidneys, genetic basis, and immune-inducing inflammation. Or it occur as a result of a health disorder. Now, when a client has lupus erythematos, um, it can lead to that. Or the client has diabetic neuro, uh, nephropathy. So when the client has diabetic nephropathy, this could cause the client to have glomerulonephritis. These are conditions that might come secondary to other conditions the client might face why affecting their kidneys then they can have other complications that are going to come in later on in their life uh in this glomerulonephritis um it leads to end stage renal disease which is esk did end stage kidney disease acute glomerulonephritis often occurs during an infection and uh the chronic one will develop over a period of between 20 to 30 years so the so the chronic one can come when there's an infection, sorry, the acute one will come when there's infection, the end stage will come between 20 to 1 to 30 years of continuous infection. Um, so we, the client will, the client will have anorexia as the, the symptoms, they will have dysuria, oligouria, fatigue, hypertension, difficulty breathing, Crackles within the, 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 the there will be crackles heard, there will be ST heart sound. Again, the last time we did, did these heart sounds and look at look at where they are found. The S2, the S3 heart sound. What are the, when they when, when you hear the S3 heart sound, what does what does it indicate? Look at it. We brought them in the question answer. So at this point when we read these things, I want to remind them like how I'm saying it, to always know that these things exist so we can find the best means to help ourselves. For the endless we can learn to remove certain things these are important things that we must learn to retain you got a client the client will have weight gain you got a client is not excreting fluid the client is going to have reddish brown or cola color urine they will have a cola color urine cola like coca-cola color cola color urine when the client has this glomerulonephritis um the client is going to have these symptoms will do the client urinalysis it will show the client will have increased protein and increased red blood cell in the client urine will do the client gfr it will be lower than 20. the gfr will be lower than 20. it should be at least 125 ml per minute it will be lower than one one it will be lower than 120 per minute um the client We'll do 24-hour urine collection specimen. Um, we'll do the serum blood urea nitrogen. There will be decrease of the GFR. This rate will be decreased. There will be increased creatinine. There will be increased BUN. There will be scleroglobulin in the urine. There will be anti-nuclear antibody in the urine. There will be AA present in the urine. There will be um, hyperkalemia, hypophosphatemia, and there will be hypocalcemia.
when a client has this glomerulonephritis. We can do the client kidney biopsy to know the cause, where the cause is coming from, to provide a prompt management for the client who is ill. We coordinate the care to conserve the client energy, get the client will be fatigued. We also go ahead and administer antibiotics as prescribed, teach the client how to relax and other things to decrease the stress, monitor the client blood pressure and monitor the client respiratory status, monitor the client fluid and electrolytes. Give the client antibiotics such as penicillins, erythromycins, azithromycins. These are all prescribed when the client has glomerulonephritis infection. Give the client anti-hypertension medication to control the hypertension. We do other interprofessional care for the client who has this condition. These are things we we'll do for our client when our client has renal problem. Any question on this renal condition? Any question on them? Now, I'm going to go into um, the Sanders. To review to tell you what i expect us to know in this system uh when it comes to this particular renal system within um within the sonos book under here in my book it says 838 for this condition but in, in, in other condition in other book it might be different slightly now if you look at uh, my book. Let me show you an example. This is my book I use when I'm going for my endless. Now, when I say I read this book start to end, these are things I was doing in the book. I was highlighting this book pages. I read them start to end because I did not want to go back and fill it again. Once I, I went the first time, I feel it. The second time, I want to go and pass. So that's why I did everything. So we have to learn these things. Sometimes when you feel the first time, does not mean that you are a dull person or maybe you don't, you feel you go back and rekindle and go back with more power to pass the test once and for all even if you fail two times you still have the next time to go and pass but the worst one is if you keep going coming now now you got to like evaluate yourself and know what the prob what the problems are to manage those problems and be on the safe side i have thought nursing school in Liberia for like three to four years i came to the u.s before i, before I came here i did pre-meds so i had idea on these things a lot yesterday when i came i studied i wanted the ankle i still feel the ankles so anybody can feel the ankle it is a public test but what matters most is for us to understand what the test is asking up for we have to analyze the testing question and understand how these questions are coming and how the question answer are being generated that is very powerful with the endless so under here in under the renal system in the sunders you can look at the nephron function of the kidneys the kidneys has the glomerulus it has the bowman's the, the, the bowman's capsule the tubers it has other portion of the tubers everything has other sub portion you got the function of the kidneys it has different function if you really see Austin the well, you will make a good uh, kidney or, or renal nurse when you come to the end. Uh, you make some good points from the kidney from the kidney condition in the end because they have no that you want to look at kidney. Talk about the angiotensin converting enzyme, the renin, the pet, the, the adosterones, the everything are in here for the endless. Look at them. You have these lab values. Look at look at look at look at the lab values. They are important to note these lab values. You have the gravity. You want to understand the difference between urine osmolality and you and, and urine uh, osmolality and urine specific gravity. You want to understand those two things and what each one of them mean. There are other urine tests under here. The urine acid test. Just read them. Look at them. Then look at kidney injury. When the client has kidney injury. What the client would do, what are the do's and don'ts of a kidney injury, read about that. Look at the acute kidney injury that we just talked about. Look at the chronic kidney injuries. Look at other kidney stages. The last thing I was just a question about the renal condition stages. It came last night. Each stage has different uh, 
amount of GFR output. It is important. When the client has a mild CKD, meaning the client has mild chronic kidney disease, the client will have a urine output, GFR output of 60 to, to 89 uh, ml per minute. If the client has moderate, it's between 30 to 59 ml. When the client has severe kidney problem, the client will, 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 will have 15 to, to 29 ml per minute of GFR. If the client has end-stage renal disease, the client will have less than 15 ml per minute to fluctuate in the body. These are the, this is the worst one. Look at the symptom owner here. They are in here. Look at condition owner, the each, owner each system. We will have kidney failure. What are the oxygen that get affected? Because the, the renal, when the renal gets filled, the other system in the body will get affected. Then you have the heart, our breathing, our GI, our blood, we all become infected when we have kidney problem. Our skin, our muscle system, a lot of things in our body will become, will become affected when we have kidney problem. So look at these things. Look at um, uremic syndrome. Look at hemodialysis on here. On here you have it in here. So when you listen to the audio I'm going to, I, I, I provided, you read the one in the book, you compare it. On here you have access for hemodialysis. You have the sub, sub, subclavian veins. And you have the femoral catheter. How do they insert these things when the client is going for dialysis? They are in here under the hemodialysis. Then we have in the peritoneal dialysis. How do we access the port to, 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 to put in the dialyzer or the, di the dialysis fluid in the client body? They are all in here. You have the internal atrioventricular graft, have the internal atrioventricular fistula. They are in here. We we'll look at it clearly and understand how we are working with it. Now, if you look in the book, you have the dialysis, you have the outflow, and you have the inflow. These things are in the book. We we'll want to read them to be on the safe side for the ankles. Then we have the peritoneal dialysis. Under here, it has different different things about it. Like I talk about it in our recording or in our, in our podcast, they are in there. We want to make sure and read this thing. Look at the complication of peritoneal dialysis. It's complications. Look at other kidney, like when you're a kidney, when you're trying to transplant kidney to another person, the donor kidneys, the receiver kidneys, there are things about it under here. What is the doctor's fear? Rejection. What, how, what are the drugs going to serve for that not to be rejection of the body? They are all in our book. If we read them, we'll understand them one at a time. We have one we call polycystic kidney disease. You can read that. We have one we call hydronephrosis. You, you can also read the last one, renal calcula. These are things you want to look at them, read them, and know them for yourself. Any questions so far? Now, I want to lecture on something we'll meet me tomorrow. A um, few times before we leave, I will talk about benign prostate hypertrophy. BPH. Benign prostate hypertrophy in this bph we do an invasive procedure um in this procedure we'll talk about the transurethral recession of the prostate the top we call it top t-u-r-p uh, when a client has benign prostate hypertrophy we'll look at we'll look at what is the psa test we'll look at this uh top test how can it be done what are the do's and don'ts for this procedure for the renal system? And we'll tell you when you have what you're doing, bladder cancer and BPH. At what age you are raised for it? You can go ahead and read about it. But we'll come back tomorrow. We'll have a little time before getting into peace tomorrow. Any questions so far?